With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. A lot of people, when they think of the word evolution, they think of Charles Darwin. They think of flowers that turn into multicolored flowers that turn into, I don't know, humans. I don't know what things evolved into. But evolution happens everywhere in life. And it happens in your job, it happens in your industry, it happens in your passions, it happens in your relationships, it happens in your life. Evolution and its relationship to success is critical to understand. I'm gonna go through a bunch of examples in this next episode with some specific concrete actions you can take to figure out how your life, whether it's your job or money or relationships or other aspects of your life, how your life can evolve and why this is not only critical for success, but it's even morally critical. Here we go. So I've been thinking like, like if a thief stole a loaf of bread from a store to feed his hungry family, so who is in the right and who is in the wrong? On one hand, he's breaking the law. On the other hand, he's feeding his family. You know, this is the moral dilemma that I've been thinking all the time. I think the problem with everything is that the universe wasn't meant to be one and zero, black and right. white. Like, right. if you think about morals, they're sort of man-made, right? Like uh, 150 years ago, 160 years ago, people still had slaves and they thought they were being moral. They right. thought they were being, this was the best thing for their slaves or whatever. They, they thought they were being, they, they were great human beings. Morals change. People used to marry 16 year olds here, even here in the United States. Like, Wait, really? When was that ago? How long was that ago? I don't know, in the 1800s and the 1700s. Ah. Like people married very young because oh. they, they died very young. So they needed, they wanted oh, to have right, kids. Right, right, right. So, uh, and a lot of women unfortunately died in childbirth, for instance. So, so you think moral can be defined? So I, oh, this is, this is just me. I always, define moral as something that was accepted by majority during that time. But I don't even know if that's true. So like, remember, I just said how these other things like slaves and, and right. having young brides used to be considered morally acceptable. That doesn't mean they were moral. Like right. it's bad to kill somebody. Now, death penalty aside and war aside, because people make different arguments there, it's bad to just walk up to someone on the street and kill them. I think right. we all universally agree, even if there was some time in history or some society where murder was acceptable, you, you can't really say, oh, well, it's good for them, but not for me. Like some, you know, there's this whole concept of moral relativism where it's what's good for your society is good for your society, but other cultures are different. So you can't judge, for instance, other cultures for things they do that we consider immoral because that's the moral relativistic approach. Like every society has their own set of morals. I, me personally, I don't believe that. I think there really, really are a set of morals that are good 
and that we were sort of culturally evolving towards. Yeah, uh, didn't you and Sam Harris talk about this? That's what the moral baseline, right? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So Sam Harris writes about this in uh, his book Making Sense. We talked about this on the uh, podcast. podcast. Yeah. And the flip side is we maybe we don't know yet what is the correct morals that we're we're still evolving towards. Maybe there's some things we do now that we that 100 years from now we'll be shocked. Oh my God! I can't believe right. people in the 20th century, you know, I don't know, ate pork or whatever. Yeah, but the thing is, like, what do you think would be the moral baseline? Like, I mean, like, yeah, killing is bad, you know, but like, you know. Um, other than uh, prosecutions, but stealing, it's it's very relative, right? But if you're stealing money for yourself, then yeah, that's totally wrong. But if it's stealing like food for your family, like arguably that's correct in a sense because you're trying to make sure your family can survive, you know? Yeah, but is there, why did he have to steal for his family? Did he not 10 years earlier, did he do poorly at a job and was fired and now right. he has to steal for his family? So the moral question really might be that he it was immoral for him to put himself in circumstances where he couldn't do what he was had was responsible for doing i think some things do depend on context you can't just say all oh, stealing is bad what if you know there might be gray areas there so so that on the one hand there probably is some sort of moral absolute absolutism roughly where right. you pretty much know what's ethical and what's not and at the same time there's a lot of gray areas as well but you know, I don't believe in, again, I don't believe that for one society, you know, cutting off the hands of little kids who shoplift is an <laughs> ethical thing. Even if it was okay in that society, I personally don't think it's ever ethical. Right. But the thing is, like, even ethical, right? That was sort of like, human doesn't grow up with those built in themselves. Like, it's sort of like you, you, you have been taught by society or you have been taught by your parents, no? Yeah, but that's why you because humans have the ability to be taught and we don't just live on instinct alone we that's how we evolve like we're humans right. are basically these skinny hairless apes that somehow conquered the world and right. uh you know like you know it's interesting like in in Yuval Harari sapiens he talks about how uh, how humans arrived in Australia so humans had never been to Australia you know humans came from Africa and at some point or other they crossed an ocean or whatever it is to get to Australia. And within two or 3,000 years, basically every animal that was more dangerous dangerous than humans on Australia was extinct. So wow. humans, humans basically are lethal. And it's not because we're so huge and dangerous. It's because we learned how to be social and cooperate with each other and you know, teach each other new things based on our environment. We're the only species that spread all spread naturally all over the planet. Right. So we had to be very adaptable in order to survive. Maybe there were other species trying to survive that didn't because they weren't as adaptable as us. You think human is the most dangerous species? Well, right now we are. I mean, there's no animal. First of all, think about this. Like an animal can kill another animal that it attacks one-on-one. -on -one. Right. But humans can set fire to a forest and kill every animal in the forest with just one action. So humans right. learned how to like scale death. <laughs> That's how humans learn how to scale their business too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. We find a forest and then set it on fire. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, we, no other animal could say, let's destroy all the, you know, the chimpanzees in this forest by setting on fire. No, no other animal thinks like that. We're the only ones. Yeah, and, and humans the only one that can sort of plan long-term, right? Yeah, we can plan long-term and 
we could cooperate with more than 30 other individuals, which no other primate can. So what do you think is the, the moral baseline? Like, you know, no killing. Do you think that's the only moral baseline? No, I think, um, you know, the golden rule, which happens in every single society, do unto others. I think Naven was taking notes on this once. Wait, um, really? I would, to be honest, this is literally just, we're just talking and then this came out. Do you already take notes on this? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's interesting how this one rule happens in every religion. So in Christianity, of course, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you mind explaining what that means? Yeah. So if I don't want anybody to gossip about me, I shouldn't gossip about anyone else. If I don't want anyone to kill me, I shouldn't kill anyone else. If I want opportunities in my life, I should help other people get opportunities in their life. Uh. And that's where, you know, there could be a system that's immoral. So for instance, if you're preventing people from succeeding in it for any reason, like let's say, you know, racism or you're keeping slaves or hurting other people in some way by slandering them. If you don't want people to stop having, giving opportunities to you, you have to keep giving opportunities to other people. So that's a, right. a little bit more nuanced, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But that's Christianity. So right. in Buddhism, it's there's a, a saying, hurt not others, that which pains yourself. In Islam, love for your brother, what he loves for himself. In Even in Stoicism, what you avoid suffering yourself, seek not to impose on others. And Taoism, view your neighbor's gain as your own gain and his loss as your loss. So, so it's that, the same that's message. an interesting one, by the way. There's the you know, people often hate when this is like the reverse of the golden rule, right. which is the same thing, but you want other, you want to be happy when others are happy, which many people aren't. So that's, that's no. the reverse side of that. A lot of time, like when people are happy, we'll be like, oh, why is that guy so happy? That guy yeah. is like, or, idiot, you know? or we get jealous or envious. Yeah. It's interesting though, that that one concept is in every single religion throughout history and yeah. around the world. And it's and they are not like anything close, like like Christianity and like Buddhism and Taoism. They are like so far apart too. Like, but the concept is just the same. It's yeah. almost like that. It's like a bigger con like conscious around the world. So, so if you think about it, that might be like that might be the only rule. Like everything else is sort of derived from it. Like you know, don't steal, don't lie. But maybe if it's an immoral system that you're in, maybe it's okay to steal. And so this is where you get into the gray area because, you know, what's a moral system for one might be an immoral system for another. Yeah. And also like, this could be me, but like, I felt like I said this a lot uh, because every time I listen back to the recording, I heard me saying this a lot. Uh, sometimes I also felt like moral system was built to benefit only one party. Like the main mate moral system, not the, yeah. not the one golden rule concept. Right, but let, let's take if you're if you're a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp, would it be bad for you to steal bread? Would it be bad for you to escape, essentially breaking the law? No. So the law is definitely the most extreme version of man-made, you know, right. and so it has nothing to do the law and and what's a base moral baseline, an absolute moral baseline, are two completely different things. Although the law tries to match what's moral, it might be the case that a dictator will not make moral laws, in which case it might be moral to steal because you need to feed your family. And and you were deprived of opportunities so in an unfair system. Right, right. Yeah, but and at the same time, like I felt like maybe like maybe I'm just being too paranoid. Like maybe in some other country or maybe some other society, they were trying to look or pretend to be like a good society so they impose some law 
But if you look a little bit deeper, that law is just benefiting like the higher yeah. Well, people. well, look at um, look at almost every. And this is not a statement about Marxist philosophy, but look mm-hmm. at almost every communist country, ranging from China, Russia, uh, Venezuela, Cuba. People would defect out of these countries because it was so miserable. I mean, in China, when they were, you know, on the one hand, it's not like these countries all hate their government and can't wait for the government to leave. I mean, you know, billions of people loved communism under Mao and, you know, they thought it was a moral system because, oh, everybody should be equal. All the farmers should get the same thing. All, and let's, all the people who are living off the fat of the country, let's, let's get rid of them or re-educate them. So professors, merchants, rich people, and so they had the, you know, in the sixties, Mao had the cultural revolution where 60 million people died and, right. you know, and, and st- under Stalinism, something like 20 or 30 million people died. And, uh, you know, Venezuela, uh, everybody, f- you know, who had anything, you know, fled Cuba in 1961, everybody fled on boats to the U S mm-hmm. so it's not like, it's not like th- those any attempt at making a forced man-made moral system has has kind of not only failed economically but tens of millions of people died it's flat yeah so in the, in the US i think that's why the fundamental belief in in the philosophy behind the constitution is that not that everybody should be have the exact same items but that everybody should be treated the same so property shouldn't be equally shared, but property rights should be equally respected. So for instance, I have a right to my life. I have a right to say what I want. I have a right to my home without you taking it. Unless I, unless we made a deal and I owe money and I didn't pay it and then and, I could get my house taken yeah, away. And unless you're at Twitter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Twitter has, is a, is a private company and right. Right. Uh, they are allowed to do the government can't interfere with their rights. Now, the government does do that. And I'm not saying, I'm not acting like a libertarian here. Like the the government correctly regulates some industries that need regulation. Um, but overall, you know, most industries don't need regulation and most people don't need that much regulation. As few laws as possible is the best. Like there's all sorts of weird laws Really? Yeah. Well, well, is that is that the reason why uh, why you're searching out the weird laws? Is that the reason why it's constitution? I mean, I I think you and Jason have talk about this. It, like the constitutions, it's a little bit vague. Yeah, it's, Usually, it's vague on purpose. Vague. Yeah, because they don't know how um, society is going to change. So, for instance, the president has certain rights that uh, were you know he has the right to do these executive orders or Congress has the right to, you know, make laws that the president does. But what those rights are, are sometimes deliberately vague because they change. Right. Yeah, because like, you know, like the, like also like human involved too, you know, te- with the, the rise of technology, the, the the human views on moral eth- and ethics also change, I believe. Because like before there's Facebook, before there's computers, who really cares about data privacy, right? No one cares about like, you know, data privacy and all. But with that, Right. With technology that change. Yeah, right. And so, and then it becomes a kind of uh, philosophical slash legal question. Like, are, are, is your data, um, your, something you own? 
Like, right. so, so the constitution or, you know, or the deck, whatever, like the, the, the philosophy of the United States says, if it's something that's your property, you have the rights to do with it what you want, unless there's due process the fifth amendment but okay i have these very interesting questions right i i, I just thought of this you know like how you know habits right so like human uh internet habits i felt like internet habits was sort of manipulated or maybe even trained by the big company right like you know what you see on the ads or whatever they sort of train your 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 internet activity and habits right what you see and stuff but since you were trained by them do you think they own you your habit. The reason why I brought up habit that's it's because a lot of the ads and advertisement was targeted towards your habits, like what you yeah. see and what advertisement you got you got shown. You know what I mean? What's the moral side of that? Do you own the habit? If your habit was trained by the the big tech company, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. Like, let's say you're a great piano player because right. you had a habit of studying the piano every single day, right. and and you make a living um, uh, playing the piano and someone cuts off your arm, you can sue that person for your career earnings, you know, how much money you mm. would have made for your whole career because that was a, a, a piece of property, your skill. It's not so much your habit, but your skill that you use to make money right. um, is, can, you can put a monetary value to it and so you can sue people over that. And you say, well, what if I didn't make a living as a piano player? It, it doesn't seem fair that it's just about money, but the thing is, is that suing someone over taking away your rights to play the piano is about money. So you have to be able to measure it somehow. So for me, I can't sue for, oh, I was gonna be a great concert pianist and now I can't, well, I don't play the piano. So <laughs> right, right. Uh, it doesn't matter what I was hoping to be later on. Uh, you have to, you know, that's why it's very much, you know, money becomes this way of measuring how immoral something is. Is it is it the best way to do something? No. Uh, right. Like if. If um, let's say a husband or a wife cheat on each other, then in some states, I guess that's related legally to the divorce, but in some states it isn't. So then it's just an ethical thing as opposed to something that, you know, again, there's no perfect matchup between a man-made legal system and a moral system. So the right. moral system might say it's unethical to, to cheat. And the legal system might say in this state it is, but in this state it isn't. Right. So, I mean, it's pretty sure it's benefit whoever that makes a law. So like maybe the friend of the lawmaker was cheating. So they, they have to like make it to like, okay, they have to find a loophole saying that, okay, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think, I think that's fine. I think, you know, you, you, you asked originally, and this is very important for thinking about careers and success and stuff, stuff like that. You start off with the premise that is it unethical to feed your family, but uh, you know, as opposed to helping a homeless person when you can. Oh and yeah, this is what we were talking about. We were talking about something, and then I asked you, like, is it unethical to, you know, if you have two dollars, uh, you keep the two dollars when you know, so you can feed yourself and your kid, or should you share the dollar with the homeless people, and then you both starve? No, here's the important metaphor, and it's an airplane metaphor. So when you're it's, <laughs> it, 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 when you're in a plane and the oxygen bags come down because maybe the plane's running out of air. Uh, you have to put the mask on yourself, yourself first before the baby. Babies, yeah. Because, and then certainly before the person next to you, yep. because you, you can't save your baby unless you're saved. So all these people have miserable lives that, that um, you know, their house is a mess, their career is a mess, their relationships are a mess, and then they go and protest and start looting 
you know, delis or looting the Capitol or whatever. There's a saying, you know, before you want to change the world, don't forget to, you know, change your underwear. So you have to take care of yourself. And the most moral thing you can do, and it sounds selfish to say it this way, but it, it doesn't mean it. The most non-selfish thing you could do, the most selfless thing you can do is to take care of yourself and to do the best for yourself. Now, you might say, well, then are you saying people should just accumulate money before they help anybody? When will it stop? I'm not saying just accumulate money. I'm saying, um, you know, take care. It's obviously not the case that having a billion dollars makes you more happy than having right. a million or 10,000 or 100,000. But uh, so at some point you have to decide like, okay, this was enough money and now it's better for the people around me if I do other, if I focus on other things. Now it might be, as Warren Buffett has argued, it might be the best to accumulate money because he's leaving all of his money to charity when he dies. Same with Bill Gates. So right. for them, their skill was building, accumulating money. And if he had started, like if Warren Buffett started giving all his money away when he had a billion, he never would have been able to give away a hundred billion. Right. So for him, the moral thing to do was to accumulate as much as possible, but he still took care of himself first. Like he had to li live and he was fair, he had, but he had to live, uh, uh, he, you know, you live by your reputation in that, that world. And, you know, he's one of the most ethical people around, but accumulates money as his thing. Yeah. And sometimes when you help people, it doesn't mean you have to give them money. Uh, because I always, I always believe in this metaphor. Like you don't, you don't give uh, a man a fish, you teach them how to fish. Along those lines, like you can't help everyone. Yeah. You know, but if you do good things, you don't even know how the, you know, the effect ripples out, like dropping a pebble in the ocean, the waves ripple out. And in, to some extent, even a tiny micro nano aspect of those waves hit every shore. Right. So uh, you just, you can't worry about who you're helping. You just have to do what's best for you and what right. you consider to be the highest ethical standard and, and take action to improve your life. And that will ripple out and ultimately help everyone. It's by the way, people always say nice guys finish last. That is totally not true. Like if you pursue what you're, what you're, what you love and you do it with a, a high standard of ethical behavior, ultimately, if what you do to help yourself helps others, you will make a lot of money. You'll be successful. And I said, an if, if what you do helps others, blah, blah, blah. But if you're going to make a lot of money, you could only do something which helps others. So right. For instance, everyone says, oh, you know, so-and-so is rich. This guy, you know, or that woman is awful because she's so rich. But look at the people who are rich. Uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, created a, a store that we all were able to order from in this lockdown when we couldn't leave the house. So he, he fed like a billion people. Um, uh, Richard Branson, he, you know, s set up a, a competitive airline to British Airways uh, with Virgin Air and created a great airline that set the standards for, for airlines around the world and helped right. people get from one place to another. So in order to make money, you have to provide something of great value to others. Right. And in order to provide something of great value to others, you have to really take care of yourself. You can't, you can't come up with a great idea. You can't be creative if you haven't exercised physically. If you're, if you're sick, you can't help people. If you're arguing with your spouse, you can't help people. If you're not creative, you can't help people. And if you're not able to deal with misfortune occasionally, then you're not going to be creative. That's very hard. Like the thing is like, I, for me, 
I felt like it's really hard to deal with misfortunes because, like, when you have when you when you get hit by any misfortune, like just even a tiny one, your day is pretty much ruined. Yeah, well, but and, but what is that misfortune like for everybody? Like, for instance, for some people, reading a, some upsetting news about the climate will ruin right, their day, right, right, and for right, other right, people, right, right. having an argument with their spouse might ruin their day. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it it changes. Yeah, you sort of have to have to define the misfortune. So but, what but, if, but that's like, why you, that, but that's why having a circle of misfortune, you know, or, or having an ability to deal with misfortune is the most important thing you could do for society is the most selfless thing you can do. Because if I spend a week moping about a business deal that failed, then that's a week where I could have been creative and helping, you know, people helping grow myself, which in turn helps grow others. And instead I spent a week moping around upset. Oh yeah, you didn't you have like a story that you you your business? But the thing is, how do you how do you get through that? Uh, I think you get through that by focusing. You know, but it's almost like it's exercising a muscle. It's the exercising the getting over it muscle. <laughs> so whenever I have like some pain that brings me to the brink, and by the way, it's it's impossible to avoid. Like it's not like anybody there's anybody out there who never has problems, but. Well, I, I, I think I think they are, but like they just doesn't take as much uh, as much risk, or they are not exper- experimenting enough. Because like the more you experiment, the the more failure you have. Yeah, but also you you eventually you know you get sick sometimes, right, or you right, lose right, loved right. ones, or you know you have a bad relationship. And I think the way you bounce back is getting used to the idea, get, getting exercising the bouncing back muscle. But what I do, because it happens to me quite a bit, is I always make sure. Am I every day? Am I? Did I do something to improve my physical health, my relationships with others, my creativity, and my ability to get over things? That you know, like if two people, if someone disagrees with me about you know some political issue, I and I have a choice: do I get bothered by this, or do I move on and with my life and and help others? So or or, or you know, and again, helping others is equivalent to success because you're not going to succeed if you're not doing something that people need. So right. Ken Langone has this, then Ken Langone has this famous story where he helped people make the make a billion. So then he became a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. No, he he basically said no no man is an island unto himself. No man is a self-made billionaire. Uh, yeah. He helped uh, 3,000 people become millionaires and that's why he's a billionaire. What you put out into the world comes back to you. And that's the only way to have success. And that's related to, to moral behavior and ethics. I mean, Adam Smith uh, in his 1776 book, The Wealth of Nations, calls this the invisible hand that you know, free markets kind of force people to be ultimately moral and ethical as opposed to the opposite of that, which is kind of a more Marxist philosophy. And, and the idea is, again, all people are created equal, but it doesn't mean all people have equal amounts of things. I don't want to have uh, a, a baseball signed by Mickey Mantle, for instance, and other people might not want to have a chess set. So it's not like we right. all have equal things. Everybody wants different things. Some people like to garden on a mountain and other people want to fly around in private jets. I mean, I've, I feel bad asking about this. Does it mean like having one moral system is not as justified? You know, I mean, since everyone is different, everyone wants different thing. No, but I think that's why you broaden you broaden it as much as possible. So we know stealing is bad, but right. ever since 
Actually, uh, the Code of Hammurabi in 1776 B.C., uh, uh, you know, an eye for an eye. So, right, right, or maybe right. that's a Bible one, I don't know. But uh, uh, it's around the same time. So there's even a, a moral standard that's lasted for thousands of years to decide when you go against the moral system. So I think I think there are absolutes here, although it's a gray, there, there are gray areas. Yeah, and also that's always like, what? Like we always, like you always say, like there's a good reason and there's a real reason, right? Yeah, and you know, also there's, the, the other thing is the, the the good reason is, oh, killing is uh, a moral thing. But if you think about it, there's no, and I'm going to disagree with myself a little bit, there's no absolutes in the sense that God came down and said, don't kill anyone. And then suddenly humans who were just killing people left and right stopped killing people. First yeah. off, humans unfortunately do still kill a lot of people. Second, um, you know, it's not like, this is a universal law of physics not to kill people. We, we the, that, the good reason was, oh, God told us to, that this was ethical. The real reason is that if you kill people, society, DNA won't replicate as much. And what the, do you mean? The, the, well, the goal of humans, like any species in evolution, is to reproduce itself. So if right. I kill somebody, that person can no longer reproduce. Most ethical rules are designed to help DNA increase you know dna right. is the real master of the universe because yeah. it's dna that wants to replicate as much as possible and so anything that goes against dna's replicate against the replication of dna or the reproduction of more humans anything that goes against that is magically considered to be unethical That just proved that human uh, assimilations. And then that's all this rule is sort of like the programming sort of like stop humans stray away from their path or whatever it's called. You know what I mean? So it's like reprogramming, storing information on our DNA and replicate them. It's our main job or our yes. main, 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 main objective. And then like the God, when the God say, like I say, when the God say like, oh, don't kill people. That it's like when they're programming, you know, when you log into the computer, when you first use the program, there's like a prompt and say that, please do not do this and then sign. And I agree, you know, so like that, I'm pretty confident that like humans are in, uh, in simulations. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. Computer simulations. Well, yeah, that could be. Maybe they set up these laws. Some other species right. in outside this dimension set up. Let's see what happens ethically when okay. we have people who we have species who evolve like this and laws of physics like this. Yeah, and, yeah, and like like just like programming, right? You have to type in like okay, you be, just like programming, you have to set the boundaries for the program to run. So in programming, you have to set the rule first on the header, and then you start writing all the all the all the code after. Yeah. Um, that's the problems too with studying like evolutionary biology. Like it's easy to figure out the evolutionary reason for every action that we do. But, right. um, you know, it's interesting. Some, some things you can ask, well, what good does X, Y, and Z do? So why does, you know, why is it better for some people to paint a painting instead of gather food for the tribe? Uh, right. And Darwin actually writes about this, but not in his uh, original book on uh, natural selection. I think he has a uh, theory of special selection where why, why do artists and people who engage in culture, why do they sort of rise up in the tribe? And so it's, it, it's not always about 
you know, evolution is not a hundred percent about, Hey, look, whatever's best for the tribe is best for, uh, uh, whatever's best for me is best for the tribe or, or, or sorry, whatever is best for the tribe is what evolution wants. Evolution again, just wants to replicate. It's not about right. what's best for the tribe. It just turns out that being good for the tribe is best for replication. Right. Um, but think about art. Art is not necessarily good for the tribe. I mean, you could argue, oh, art teaches and art, people love art and everything. Like that. But when you're an artist, you have, what you're basically saying from an evolutionary perspective is, I have so much ability to feed myself that I can even do extra things. Like I can be an artist. And it's a form of, you know, what peacocks do is, you know, they spread their colorful right, 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 you know, right. feathers. So an artist is saying, look, I can create this beautiful object. So I'm even more valuable than the people who are just feeding the tribe. I could feed the tribe and do this extra thing. So I have extra evolutionary abilities. Right. So that's good for replication. It's not necessarily good for the tribe. That's why it's DNA that are that's at the controls and not humans. What if the other reason why uh you know like artists is so good is also artists is sort of the 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 record of the history, right? So what if your programming, your DNA programming has to look back what happened a thousand yeah. years ago? So like artists is probably one of the the first few that actually you know draw on the cave, like what's happening. Well, that's very interesting actually because you know maybe there were again maybe there were societies that were just like us or species that were just like us, but they didn't have art. And so because of that, right. at some point they died out because they weren't able to, they, they ended up repeating too much of the mistakes of the past. But but right. look at like, um, you know, uh, uh, Homo sapiens have been around about 250,000 years, right. but Homo erectus was another human species that was around for a million and a half years and then died out. So we don't really know why they died out, but to your point, there's not really a lot of um, drawings and caves from Homo erectus. Humans right. were more are more creative although you know we'll see if we survive a million and a half years they survived a long time but right. we we might be too smart for our own good and and cause our demise but uh uh all the other human species you right. know was neanderthals homo Neanderthal, erectus yep. and then there's like three or four others they all died out except for humans although yeah. we do have some of their dna we, there was some mixing right yeah yeah there's spread yeah but you know all of this all of this is ultimately related to success because not only do humans evolve, but every industry, every career, every, you know, society evolves. So for instance, look at medicine. They always bring up with this pandemic 20 years ago, it would have taken five years to come with a vaccine. And now it took three months or computers uh, in the 1960s, of course, uh, a, a computer the size of a small calculator, you know, sent a rocket to the moon in 1969. But now you can have, you know, computers that self-drive cars and and calculate trillions of calculations a second. So like in, in 19, the 1960s, you never could have put, made a computer to play uh, a good game of chess. Now it's trivial to make a computer do that. So it, it, even money evolves. So First there was gold, then there was paper currency, and now there's Bitcoin. So so the principles of evolution apply to everything. And knowing that and knowing that that not only do humans evolve, but your thinking about things evolves, like your opinions evolve, your your abilities evolve in one direction or the other, 
when you have kids, your abilities to be a parent, hopefully evolve as you learn. So I think understanding that and looking at whatever activities you engage in and making sure they're evolving with you, or if you're an entrepreneur, making sure your business evolves with the times or, or looking at an, an industry and saying, Hey, the next evolution in this industry is to create, I don't know, podcast software that records video locally on both sides right. or, or something like that. Uh, or, or the next car, the evolution of cars might be flying. And, you know, you could start thinking of crazy stuff because nothing's too crazy. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it sounds crazy flying cars. And yet if we look at the patent, I'm going to look at the patent database right now. Um, the Google patents. I bet you if I put in flying cars, we're going to see how many patents there are. Uh, flying cars. Oh, they are. Rotable aircraft with folding wings and integrated bumpers and lighting. And so that was granted last week, that patent. Uh, wow. Vehicle inflatable flight. That was um, for transportation on public road. So, uh, wow. And it's, uh, it's in, an inflatable aircraft. I never uh, heard of that. Uh, let's see. Um, an, a modular airland vehicle. And this, this was filed uh, March 19th by some guy named Raymond Joseph Schreiner. So who's Raymond Joseph Schreiner? <laughs> is he like an employee at Google or is he just some like random like crackpot in like you know, Idaho, who's building See, modular the, aircrafts in his when backyard. I, when I type in that name, the first thing that came out is find a grave. Yeah, so he, he died in 1981, and yet he filed a patent in 2017 for a flying car. I think this guy was a time traveler. Um, <laughs> this guy flew to the future, or flew from the past, flew back to the past, and died there. No, After what happened? Flying cars. What happened is he was supposed to came here and warn us about the virus, but he made it worse. So he just came up with the flying cars. Yeah, like why? Why don't they show the guy who he's such a great inventor? He made the flying car, and yet he's not. There's no. There's nothing else about him. Like now, I'm even putting in like flying car. Uh, and but the, but the thing is, like, I feel like inventor wasn't really famous until they die. Maybe summer Thomas Edison was famous uh, while he was still alive. Is he really an inventor though? It's more like yeah. a gangster, no? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, like many inventors, he used a team and he didn't give them credit. But right. you know, that's like many. That's like many great inventors. I'm even putting in Raymond Joseph Schreiner flying cars, and there's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's on Pinterest. There's a lot of boards about him, but that's it. Uh, Maybe he just uh, he just doesn't want to, you know. I'm I'm more known. convinced than ever. Raymond Joseph Schreiner came from the year 2485 and came to here, gave us the patent for a flying car, and then went back to 1940, got married, and died in 1981. Yeah, you know, he probably like, hey, you know, like we need a flying car that can save the human, you know, the human. What if there's like, you know, a big disaster in the future that volcano erupted, you know, yeah, unless, uh, and shit, unless there's, you know, there's flying cars that we can hide in. Or maybe the reverse, maybe he wants society to die and and he knows that the earlier they get flying cars, maybe he's like <laughs> crashing to everything. some kind of like wild activist. Okay, so here is like flying cars, drone taxi and other futuristic personal transportation. So let's see, they mentioned our man, Raymond Solo inventor Raymond Joseph Schreiner. Um, 
for point-to-point travel via air vehicle. It covers a modular airland vehicle that may be separated into air and land vehicle modules, which may be operated together or separately. The air vehicle module of this invention is capable of interconnecting with the land vehicle module by landing directly on the road module and which may be stationary or in motion during interconnect. Oh, so that means you could fly at your vehicle and land on a moving vehicle. vehicle. This patent's insane. Uh, And this guy is just a solo. He's just some guy in, oh, oh, he is in Mountain View. So I bet you he works for for Google. For Google? Yeah, let's maybe. Yeah, because Google is into uh, Google is into all that or, or Apple. Um, all right, so wait, let's find. I'm gonna Google Ray Schreiner. I gotta find this guy. This is what happened on the podcast. James just tried to track people down. Yeah, and here's a guy who's an expert in squirrels. <laughs> I mean, that could that would be more the kind of guy who submits a patent for uh, flying um, cars. A flying car, but Mountain View. It's interesting that. Um, I don't know. There's this guy who works for a radio station, but there is no Ray Schreiner who's involved in flying, flying cars, cars except on the patent itself. Man, Ray Schreiner is fooling us all. Uh-huh. Con- I convince he's a time traveler. Time traveler. It's but, came back and warned us about a virus. But but again, so this came out of a discussion of how in you know if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to always ask what is the frontier? How is your end- industry evolving? Well, clearly, you know air, water, and land are coming together in transportation at some point. Science fictions were predicting it for a hundred years, and now we're actually seeing vertical takeoffs and landings uh, start to happen. The next step is going to be some sort of flying car. So it's not good enough to just create the exact other car company as your competitors. You You have to evolve. The only reason anyone should start any company is you're evolving some aspect of the industry. Right. Uh, but what, how does a plumber evolve? Well, maybe there's no plumbers in, I don't know, Jacksonville, Florida. And so the way you evolve the industry is by becoming a plumber in Jacksonville, Florida. But you don't want to become the 800th plumber in Jacksonville, Florida, who just does the exact same thing. So if there's no evolution at all in your thinking, it's a bad business idea. And again, you could ask, well, how do you know? How do you, how do you think about how an industry can evolve? Well, one way is what we talked about the other week. How can you evolve your skills? How can you evolve the domain? Or how can you evolve the field? So with podcasting, you could have make you could say, hey, I'm not going to just be an interviewer. I'm only going to interview people in a spaceship, you know, while orbiting the earth. And so right. that would be an evolution of the interview format podcast. If you want to evolve the domain of podcasting, you could say, well, I want to make software that's better than Zoom. If you want to evolve the field, you can say, well, I'm going to start a company that's a mobile ad network for podcasts. And so you could only know how industries evolved if you study the skills, domain, and field of that industry. Right. So, and again, you also have to uh, understand the history to understand what's the frontier but this is part of understanding, you know, the field is understanding the history of the field. I, I think that model kind of sums it up: how to be creative and think about evolution in in any endeavor in your life. Yeah. Take tennis for example. So, in the early '80s, late '70s, if you look at the champions like John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, they were kind of skinny guys. They they didn't lift weights. And then Boris Becker came along and he dominated the tennis world. He was like the first tennis player to take l- lifting weights seriously. So he had more strength so he could hit a more powerful 
shot. And in chess, if you take the world champion from 1850, and if he were to play against any decent player now, he would probably lose because chess, the theory of chess has evolved. You know, every every industry, every game, every science, anything worth doing tends to evolve. Because everyone, like you said, everyone is so different, right? Everyone wants different things. So everyone also sees things differently. So in one industry, the, the more people in the industry, the quicker it's going to evolve. Right. Well, that's why that's the power of cities because, you know, ideas. No, in New York City, though. Uh, well, New York City as well. And that's part of the problem is that you need New York City to have people, not the largest exodus of people ever. But, you know, yeah. ideas, not only the more you have ideas, the more your thinking will evolve about an industry or area, but the more ideas are exchanged. So if I'm talking to like a hundred podcasters, this is why people go to conferences to some extent. They also go right. to get trashed and and do whatever they do in whatever like stays in Vegas, drinking, stays you know. in Vegas. Yep. But, um, people exchange ideas faster than just coming up with ideas with themselves and ideas have sex with each other. So this is another way industries evolve is, oh, let's take, you know, the car industry and combine it with the airplane industry and we right. have vertical cars. So that the way uh, industries evolve is by combining with their closest uh, possible industries. Or let's take Gregorian chants, you know, religious chants by monks and apply a hip hop beat to it. And then we have a, a group like Enigma, which makes, you know, Gregorian chants that are hip hop songs. Right, so, right. so, you know, that's like idea sex in, in music. Uh, idea sex is the best way to figure out how to evolve, uh, uh, you know, your industry. Yeah, but, but idea sex alone, I don't think it's enough. Like you have to experiment too. Yeah, you have to, well, then you have to, so, and it's not just idea sex. So I, I, in my next book, I write about idea division, idea multiplication, idea exponentials, and so on. And then, but yes, then you need what I call the law of 10,000 experiments, which is right. you're, you're not going to be an expert the first time you try something. So if I just pick up a tennis racket, I'm not going to, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Talent only takes you so far. It's, it's 99% hard work. You know, you, ha you have to learn enough to know how to evolve and, and come up with ideas and so on. But then in order, in order to learn, you have to experiment. You have to actually have, you can't think your way to a skill. You have to practice something and, and do it. So you, I might experiment with tennis by saying, oh, you know, everyone else is really good. What can I do differently? Oh, maybe I'll try weightlifting. So my uh, and I'll be a bodybuilder practically, but to keep my speed so that my swing is more powerful than everyone else's. Or in, in comedy, you might say, oh, you know, no one's ever experimented by saying, you know, the most disgusting things they've ever done in their life. And then you have George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, everybody, comedians started to evolve into being much more personal. Or Google, you know, search engines, Google was like the 10th search engine. So the right. first search engine, if I was searching for James Altucher, it would only look um, for documents that had the word Altucher in it. And the more times the word Altucher appeared, the higher it would rank in the first search engine. Right. And so you had EINet Galaxy, the World Wide Web Worm. Then the next generation after that was Lycos and Excite and a bunch of others. And then the algorithm kept evolving until Google, Larry Page had the best algorithm, which is, hey, how many 
other important pages linked to this page and that will determine how important this page is and that's the ranking. So mm. everything uh, uh, evolves in, in life and, and you could either do it through some sort of idea sex, which is by the way, is the Google one because right. he took the algorithm for ranking academic papers and applied it to, he combined search engines with the way people rank uh, science papers uh, or so that's idea sex. Also understanding skills, domain, field, um, and also having a plus minus equal because you need to have a coach that helps your, your thinking and who has maybe more knowledge than you have about an industry. And then you need to compare ideas with your peers and that's how you get ideas fast. And then you need to be able to explain them to someone you're teaching because that's the fastest way to, to, that's the way you know you've learned something is when you can explain it simply. I felt like that's a metaphor right there. It's called uh, 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 idea idea dating. So you first exchange, you first have the idea sex, and then you have to take the idea out to date. You know, you have to buy them food or whatever. That's the applications, and then you know when they get married, they have baby, and then that's your product and that's your success. Right. I'm so, not sure if that makes so, sense. but yes, but you know what? It's it's interesting <laughs> because your metaphor mostly works in real life, which is that people might have a one night stand fling and then they decide to start dating. Like it used to be people would date and then they would have sex after dating or after they were, you know, God forbid, after they got married. And, uh, uh, but now people tend to have like this one night fling and then they start dating. And that's what, that's what you basically just said. Like, boom, there's idea sex. And then idea dating is, uh, executions and all. Yeah, but you know what? Actually, yeah, actually, that is a good metaphor because usually people, like, let's say, let's say people meet and they go on a. I think what you're saying is almost idea dating, but like more like it's like idea Tinder, se serious dating because okay. you have to kind of you can't just have a one night stand. There won't be enough experiments to really know if you could get good at an idea or if an idea right. is good. Uh, uh, you have to have an idea relationship. So right. first, first maybe you, I, the, the actual beginning courtship dating, that's writing down the 10 ideas a day. <laughs> yeah. And then idea sex might be to really combine a bunch of ideas to have a good idea. And then the idea serious dating is when you start experimenting to see, like I might write down um, idealists like every single day for a month. That's right. kind of like I'm dating around. <laughs> and finally I'll pick something I want to have a relationship with. Maybe two or three, some people do at the same time. But uh, you know, I, I have this idea of which idea I want to have a relationship with. And that's when I start experimenting right. in the relationship. It's like I idea, it's an idea Tinder. You, so when you write the ideas, I just swipe right the whole time. And then you get match a couple, a couple one, and then you start to take them out for dinner. That's not a, that's not a bad idea. I think there's an idea there that of an app we should implement. <laughs> But uh, I think though this concept of evolution is very mm -hmm. interesting. The evolution of personal success because it does combine all these concepts about evolution. So A, first off, it's not just a biological species that evolves, industries evolve, culture evolves, society evolves, politics evolve, even war evolves. Every skill evolves, every domain evolves, every field evolves. In order for a species to succeed, it has to continue evolving. Right. And in order for you to succeed in an industry, you have to find out how that industry is going to evolve. And the way you do that is through what I've been calling a plus minus equal, idea sex, the 10,000 experiment rule, all these concepts for 
skipping the line. And then you have to have abilities and persuasion to be able to convince people this is how this is evolving. Communication is gonna be one of the most important skills. Like I was talking to my daughter the other day and she was talking about like, why do people think so hard about what to major in in college? And she was right because nobody cares at all what their employees or the people they work with majored in. You just wanna know if someone has skills. And the most important skill, other there's two, it, it's like I, I had this conversation with Tucker Max, like there's two important skills. There's the execution skills where I'm gonna build a new computer, I'm gonna build a car, I'm gonna program a car, I'm gonna uh, make a new food to put in the store. So those are execution skills. And then there's like, let's call them hard skills. And then there's like the softer storytelling skills, but that are just as difficult to get good at. So right. being able to communicate and persuade, this is 50% of the skills you need in the next century. You need to be able to help people communicate. And, and look, we know writers and these people have been on our pockets. We know writers, not just novelists, but nonfiction writers or copywriters or advertising writers. Some of these people make millions a year because of writing, because right. of their ability to tell stories and, right. and their ability to understand how storytelling evolves. Like an ad used to be, you know, just a little square on a newspaper. And now you get these emails that are like 40 page, you know, advertisements that scientifically are shown to work. And, right. you know, the study of writing and, and how to make money with it is has evolved. Huh. Well, so the other question is that, I mean, and like to to bring all this up to bring you know the big circle back around do you think it evolved with a moral baseline um yeah so so yes i do i think i think evolution yeah this is actually bringing it full circle i think evolution is moral so if you're just not improving your relationships if you're not improving your health if you're not improving your creativity and your ability to deal with misfortune then I kind of think in a subtle way that is immoral. It doesn't mean you should be ashamed right. of yourself. It means you're just not doing the best thing for society if you're not uh, truly helping yourself move forward. The best thing you could do for society is to be healthy, for instance. And the best way to be healthy, since we're constantly decaying as we age, the best way to be healthy is to work on your health so you stay healthy or or, or become more healthy. The best way to could be creative. So potentially you could come up with something that an idea that helps people is to exercise your idea muscle. So, uh, you know, by writing 10 ideas a day and so that helps your idea muscle evolve. Right. And so, so if you're not evolving, then ultimately it's a net, you, you are not creating as much good in society as you possibly could be. Right. Hence you're, you're not helping society evolve. And so you can view that as immoral. Well, so, okay. This might be too late to ask. What, what do you think the difference between humanity and society? Because I've, every time, you know, when you mention society, I feel like society is just what's around us. And yeah, humanity so, so, is yeah. like the, the whole world. Right. Humanity is uh, our species and, and the rules that make up uh, the way our species can evolves, basically. You know, the DNA of our species. But uh, society is just the thousands of individual cultures that exist in society, which also right. evolves. So like U.S. society has evolved through the years. Like, you know, a hundred years ago in 1920 was the first year that women voted, for instance. So right. obviously society votes, I mean, society evolves through its laws, through its um, 
explicit laws passed by Congress or it's implicit laws, which right. are, you know, how people view, you know, moral standards, beauty standards, other cultural standards and so on. So, uh, you know, everything, everything you're possibly involved in evolves. The question right. is in what direction? And so you just have to need to see a little bit ahead, like, oh, you know, next step for, uh, humans is to, uh, have virtual reality, you know, zoom meetings. And, and, and so you could say, I'm going to help, you know, that's going to be an area of success or, or, or the best thing for humanity is if I develop the skill of, if I work on my skill of communicating a little better, or if I work on my ability to raise my children a little better. So you could think in terms of, again, in concentric circles, like there's the individual, there's your family, there's your neighbors, there's your overall community and country. And then there's, you know, cultures. So like whatever subculture you're in, whether it's tennis or making widgets, you know, making toothpaste or making, uh, or, or being a better comedian or chess player or podcaster. So, you know, ultimately you, you evolve everything in these concentric circles. And I think that's the most moral thing you can do. If you don't do it, it doesn't mean you're unethical. I'm just saying the most moral thing is to help all those circles, starting with your own individual self, help them evolve. So let's say if, you know, to the listener at home, you know, sitting at their cubicle from nine to five, <laughs> there's no one cubicle anymore. Uh, yeah, just, if they're sitting at home and listen to this, like what are the first thing they can do right now to, to figure out what they need to do to evolve? Well, on an individual level, mm-hmm. physical health, exercise and sleep well and eat well, that's the physical health. If, if you don't eat well, or if you, or if you are sick again, you're not going to be creative and solve the next big problem, or even you don't have to solve a billion person problem. You can just solve the problem of your children or of your wife or husband or whatever. Right. So if you're sick, you won't be able to do that. And if you're not, and then if your relationships are impaired, like you're arguing with everybody, you're not going to be able to do it. If you're not creative, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you're not, um, if you don't have a sense of like, oh, well that happened now, I, what did I learn from it? Well, how can I move on? You know, again, that's the growth mindset we talked about the, uh, a week ago, right. uh, then, then you're not, uh, you know, that's, that's the first thing you could do is, is you can help yourself evolve. Then, you know, assuming, you know, you start making idea lists. What are the ways my family can evolve? What are the ways I can help my community? How can, how can my community evolve? And then, but ultimately for success, start thinking about, well, how can my job evolve? How can my company evolve? Like when I had a job at HBO in the nineties, I, felt HBO should have a website. They, no, HBO did not have a website in the 90s, in the early 90s. And so by helping HBO evolve to being going from a TV company to also an internet company, by actually helping HBO evolve, I added to my career. I not only helped HBO and all of HBO's customers and on and on, the ripple effect, in, in my own small way, but I got promoted quite a bit because I was putting out there and I was helped not, and I wasn't just doing my job, I was- right moving the frontier of my job. I was forcing HBO to have evolution. So that means I'm going to succeed at that job. And then I realized that many companies would be evolving in the same way. So I set up my first company to help these other companies evolve. And that, of course, what I put out into the world, I got back that built up my company and I didn't quite have all the business skills to monetize it. Maybe how I should have, but I was certainly able to 
monetize it and, and make decent money before I lost it all. So whenever you think of how things can evolve, you will succeed. You'll either get promotions or you'll, you know, get the right relationships or you'll make money or, you know, or you'll help society in ways that you don't even realize because of the ripple effect. Like my writing, I'm hoping evolves. I'm hoping was some attempt at evolving how people think about success. And, you know, I get the emails of, of, from people I help, and I'm always very grateful for that. And that people say, well, why do you, why do you share all this stuff? Well, I, I succeed when I get these emails to some extent, right. and I exceed when I, when I write something that I consider as a good writing. So, uh, you know, thinking in terms of evolution is important. Now it's not just about coming up with ideas. Also, you have to get good at the 10,000 experiments rule, which right. I discuss in, in my next book. And, um, you know, you have to get good at learning. So understanding how, you know, the relationship between skills, domain field, and then understanding the plus minus equal and, and idea sex and all that. But these are the, the, almost the skills of evolution. This is a whole way, a different way of thinking about choosing yourself or skipping the line. Right. Yeah. And then skipping the line is coming out on February 23rd, right? Yeah. Oh, so if anyone wants to pre-order, uh, I would be infinitely grateful. Apparently the publishers and bookstores look at who's pre-ordering and save the receipt when you pre-order, because I'm going to come up with some reward system or lottery or something. I'm going to do some kind of giveaway for people, anybody who pre-orders uh, my book. This, this wasn't intended to be an advertisement for the book, but it just so happens I've been thinking about these issues quite a bit. So and uh, Jay, once again, thank you for leading the way on this podcast. Thank Just you. so people know, all these episodes start off with me, with Jay saying, do you want to do a podcast? And me saying, oh, I have no idea what to say today. And then Jay very trickily starts asking questions and hits the record button and off we go to a podcast. So thank you once again, Jay. And thank you. If, if people enjoy this, please let us know on Twitter or you could email me at altachurchgmail.com and please review and rank and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes because the higher I go on the iTunes charts is not done by downloads. It's done by reviews and subscriptions. So it helps me considerably. I can't even tell you how much to do that. It's the only thing I ask. And uh, I love doing this, this podcast and please share any feedback at all that you want with us. So, And also, uh, just so if your listeners didn't know, uh, James' uh, Twitter handle is at jaltacher. Yes. So people can tweet James on there, and James is pretty active on Twitter. Yes, more or less. I, ha I, ha you know, I haven't been this past month, but we're going to have a whole episode about stopping to use social media soon with, uh, with our good friend Cal Newport. But yep. anyway, uh, thanks very much. Thanks, Jay, and see you soon. Thank you. See you soon.